Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. Michael Zuber, one rental at a time. Back with his good friend, good friend Jonathan Twomley. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Hey, something I heard about in the syndication world that I really don't understand, it's not my world, uh, that I thought you could help us define and then talk about how this might work in a changing environment. You ready? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what I wanted to talk about was was called preferred equity, right? Mm -hmm. Now, preferred equity has always been around. And what it is, uh, it's essentially a part of the capital stack that is a little bit like debt and a little bit like equity. So the way preferred equity works is uh, you guarantee a return to an equity investor, right? So this means okay. they take the risk of loss. They, they, they can't foreclose on your property because it's not debt. They don't have a lien, but you okay. are guaranteeing them a return, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, and the return is usually less than what you project that you're paying to your common equity investors. So let's just okay. say, for example, you're projecting in your deal, um, you're going to get a 20% return for your mm -hmm. equity investors. And obviously, a lot of that's going to come on the back end when you sell. Mm -hmm. For your preferred equity, maybe you're saying, hey, we're going to pay you, we're going to guarantee you 12%, but that's it. You don't get any, any upside. You just get your 12%. And maybe that's you know, 7% cash on cash up front and 5% on the back end when we take you out to catch you up. So it's an overall 12. And the reason people are willing to do that is A, for the guarantee, but and B, because you're higher up in the capital stack. So you sit, you know, in between the debt and the equity, you're in between there. So what that means is that it's a safer investment than common equity, right? Because say in the event of a liquidation, you know, the, the, the debt gets paid first, yeah. then the PREF gets paid, and then the common equity gets paid. So if you look mm. at it in reverse, what gets wiped out first is the common equity, and then you have to burn through all the common equity before you touch the preferred equity, right? So got it. Okay. Um, so you probably will have like a typical cap that kind of capital stack would be like seventy percent loan, right, and okay. then maybe. Five or maybe ten percent preferred equity because it really doesn't work if it gets too big, right. and then you have you know 20, 20 to twenty five percent common equity. So the preferred equity players are thinking, okay, this deal has got to lose twenty five percent of its value before it hurts me, right? So got they're it. they're okay. basically using they're using the common equity as a buffer to protect them. Sure, makes sense. But they're they're giving up upside, right? So they're saying, look, mm -hmm. we're more secure. This is safer. Uh, but we're going to take, and we're going to take less of a return because of that. And we're not, we're going to forego any upside. So all the upside is yours. And so the reason, and the reason people like to use preferred equity is because it's in a way like putting more debt on the property, you get more leverage, which means that your returns for your common equity are higher because sure. it's just like having more debt, but it's not like debt. It's safer for you than debt because they can't foreclose on the property and wipe out the common equity, right? The, the way that mm -hmm. additional debt could do, right? So, okay. and, and also a lot of deals are structured. Most loans these days will say you can't put a second mortgage on the property either, right? So, right. Of course. so this, is, this is a way that you can, you know, back in the day when I first started, you could get your, you could get your, your senior debt on a property, you know, 75%. And then you could go and get another piece of like what's called mezzanine debt for like another eight to 10%. And, you know, you could leverage uh -huh. up the deal to like 85, 90%. And 
And, wow. and then so your equity would get really great returns because they were getting all the upside, right? And right. so and 93% didn't participate in the upside or whatever it was, 85% didn't participate in the upside. So it was all on the, all the equity, you know? But the bank said after the financial crisis, the banks were like, no way. Nope, not doing that again. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. Everyone was over leveraged. So, so preferred equity, which had always been around, kind of stepped in to fill the gap when uh, pricing got really out of sort of crazy. You know, it didn't need any preferred equity back when you were buying at seven and eight caps. But when you got to buying at like four and five caps, the only way that you could get uh, your uh, your common equity to, to get the kinds of returns that they wanted was to put in some PRAF equity in between and then okay. and sort of so acting like additional leverage. Now, there are a couple of different sort of flavors of preferred equity, right? So one is what I what I, I, I just made this up. I don't know if other people call it this. I just call it sort of preferred equity light, which is real, which is kind of when you go to your investors and you say, hey, look, I'm going to offer you two different options here. I'm going to offer you uh, a higher preferred return with no upside for people who want cash flow, and I'm going to offer you regular regular equity that's going to have less cash flow up front, but but a, but you participate in the backside, and and okay. they call that preferred equity, right? So maybe that that slice of the of the pie would get a 10% preferred return and nothing else, right? And okay. and they would take it because the common equity maybe in the first three or four years of the deal was only getting two or three percent. Right? right. So they're like, hey, I'm a cash flow investor. I don't really care so much about getting a big chunk of money five years from now. I need to live off this investment now. So right. they were willing to forego the upside to get the cash flow now. And when you have that small a piece of preferred equity, you can pay them that 10% and sure. still pay everybody what everybody needs to get paid. It still works. Right. So there's that sort of preferred equity like. However, a lot of people went instead of doing preferred equity light, or even sometimes in addition to do it, doing true preferred equity, which is when you go to like a specific preferred equity investor, which is typically private equity firm, mm -hmm. and you would pay them something like, you know, a seven or eight cash flow pref ongoing, and then they get points on the back end that maybe take their total return up to 13, 14%, right? And, um, but that allowed you so currently to pay more cash flow to your equity and, and et cetera. Now, the problem with those investors, which I shouldn't say the problem, the first kind of preferred equity, the preferred equity light, those are just like your regular retail investors. They're just taking a different deal, right? They're just, right. They're just taking What's a different better deal. for them, yeah. What's better for them, right? So you're just offering two classes of shares and mm -hmm. they're, just, they're just picking the one that they like better, right? And some people would do some of both. They invest yeah. a little bit of craft, a little bit of, common, right? So uh, just because they had their own financial objectives to me. The institutional preferred equity, however, you know, they're typically coming in with pretty big check, you know, in the millions of dollars, mm -hmm. and they're very sophisticated, and they want to be secure, right? So they can't foreclose on the property because it's not debt. And, they, and if they did have that foreclosure right, the banks would kick them out, you'd be in default of your loan covenants, because that would really be debt. So they don't have the right to foreclose on the deal. What they do have the right, however, to do is kick out the operator if things don't go the way they want them to go. So where yes. are we now? Right. It takes us to where we are now. I think we're going to see a number of deals 
happen, you know, where people, for instance, got variable rate bridge mm -hmm. debt to yes. do their deals, right? And they didn't buy a rate cap or they bought a rate cap that was too high, yep. right? And now their debt service has got, gotten to the point where they are not, you know, they've stopped paying their uh, their common equity, right? Mm -hmm. Because they can't pay them anything. And they say, well, no, no big deal. It just accrues to the end. Uh, they're not making their payments to the preferred equity or they're only making partial payments. And yeah. depending on the deal documents that they have in place, you know, maybe if they've got a generous pref equity, uh, you know, sometimes they even call them pref equity lenders, but even though they're not lenders, they've got generous pref equity investor, maybe they're able to accrue to the back. But if if that pref equity investor is more, you know, kind of hardline type, mm -hmm. they may be finding themselves, you know, booted oh. out. And now, yeah. So let's so let me play this out for somebody who may be in a deal where they're the primary operator gets kicked out by this preferred equity provider. They're actually not wiping out common, no, the common investor. They're just taking over the operator, saying, "Hey, you know, Mary, go away, Bob, or we're stepping in, something like yeah. that." Yeah, and look, I mean, maybe uh, for you as a common equity investor, yeah, maybe you might It'd be, be a good thing. You might yeah. be better off. Yeah, you might get a stronger operator in there than the one that you had, right? Probably, yeah. Potentially, but um, at the same and and the, you know when that pref equity investor steps into the shoes of the operator, they're going to owe you a fiduciary duty, Absolutely. right? So, yep. um, but nevertheless, like that isn't the person that you. That's not who got, you put your money behind. That's yeah. not how you who you went into business with, right. and you and that preferred equity in, investor. You know whatever their uh, you know fiduciary duty is to you, you know they are going to um, operate the deal in their own best interests, and course, yeah. uh, and their primary interest is getting their money back, right? So yep. uh, they you know this is going to be interesting how this plays out, but I, I I'm quite so in theory so in theory right just playing this out right you you get into a ten million dollar deal there's uh, 20 million in common, 5 million in, in preferred equity. So you've got a loan of 7.5, if I'm doing my math right, or whatever. And we kick out the operator because this, that, the other. In theory, the preferred equity could come in and fire sell that thing for 8.2, get all their money back. And then the limited partners or the, the common equity is impaired. Yeah, I think in theory that could happen. Now you might wind up with like litigation where the common equity is like, hey, you know, you breached your fiduciary duty to us by selling it too low. You should have gotten a better price for it. Um, but you know, now it's like now it's like a bunch of like, you know, yeah, like doctors and lawyers and tech guys like fighting against some very sophisticated private equity firm, right? Good luck with that. And yeah, that's that sounds expensive in the best case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, they know how to run the clock out on. I mean, you know, they're going to run up your legal costs, and it's just not going to be worth your while, right? You're just going to be throwing mm -hmm. good money after bad at that point. So I think so. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think I think that this is like a scenario that a lot of people haven't really thought about. Uh, it's coming, and yeah, and it, yeah, and it's and I think on some of these, uh, it could be coming on some deals, right? Where you where they were overly aggressive in how they were structured, and and, and 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 let's you know be honest too. I'm sure that there are some of these uh, you know 
uh, preferred equity providers who are actually looking oh, for, to, sure. for this scenario, right? Where they're, where they're, this is the reason they were in the deal because they were thinking, okay, what's the worst case scenario here? Well, mm. we take over and yeah. we get our money back and we take over the deal and this operator is out and, uh, mm. and we're going to take over their position. So, you know, they were a little bit predatory. I, I, I know that, I mean, there are a couple of groups that, I yeah, there, there's there, there's no question. I mean, this yeah. is this is something I saw in 2012, 13, 14, and what's called hard money in the residential game. Oh. I know there were operators, and and I've talked to them that were were like, "Hey, we're lending to these these people because we like the asset." Yeah. And you know, if we if the if this person doesn't pay us, we get it at seventy cents on the dollar. They're like, you know, numbers say somebody's going to miss, and we're going to get an asset at a discount. This is yeah. the same thing with preferred equity. They did it on basically what you what I saw in residential is the best asset is where the people wanted to play, it, it, right? The best asset, weakest operator. It's kind of a magic combination. Yeah, I mean, it's not to say that. I mean, frankly, like every preferred equity investor is is going through the same mental process of well, what's the worst case scenario? You would think so, right? yeah, right. Yeah. And and the same same with the hard money lenders. I mean, they're all. They're all going through this, you know, yep. that because they want to be secured in their because you know they're they're they want their money back. <laughs> they want their money plus, back, right? So, plus the return, yes. Right. So, not, so um, this is not in any way to like say that all that all all of these players are predatory, not not no. by any stretch. But and and they're all thinking about the downside, and they're all thinking about well, I may have to take if I have to take this deal over, is it a deal I want to take over? But mm. there are definitely some vulture players out there who are part of their business model is looking for deals that they want to take over and exactly uh you know and and it's not they're not at all upset if that's what happens right so and they know that that they're protected in the sense that they're higher up in the capital stacks the common equity is going to get wiped out before they they are if there's a fire sale situation right awesome jonathan thank you for the education this is something i had seen not really understood you've made it crystal clear and also painted a vision of what may happen uh, in the future. Where can somebody follow you? Cause you put out a lot of great stuff. Yeah. So if you want to uh, join my email list, um, we're starting to put out a newsletter every week. We've got my you know links to my podcast, got other stuff that you can grab in there. Uh, go to apartmentinvestorsclub.com and you'll be able to sign up. You get a free download uh, about uh, multifamily investing. If you do that, you can also go to my Facebook group, which is multifamily investment community, or you can go to Two Bridges Asset Management, just Google it. It's easier than me explaining the URL and get on my investor list. Uh, and also just want to let you know about our conference coming up in April, 26th to 28th of April in Las Vegas. Uh, you'll be getting information about that if you sign up on my list. So I encourage you to sign up on my list. Awesome. Thank you so much.